This episode is sponsored by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used for around 14 years now and continue to use to this day. And they are offering you, the audience, a 15% discount, not on one purchase, but continuously. And I'll give you that code in just a moment. But I want to do a product showcase on their new Atlas sneakers and boots. So I'm a big believer in the fact that footwear can either improve our health or break down our health. And the Atlas sneaker actually has a new foam system that disperses the body weight, whether just the body weight, whether it's a a vest and a gun, whether it's EMS bags being carried. And on top of that, they're lightweight, despite having the same protection that's required in the tactical space. So I have a pair of Atlas sneakers myself, and I can attest they're extremely comfortable. On top of footwear, of course, 511 offers a gamut of uniforms and equipment, whether it's plate carriers, backpacks, flashlights, you name it, they have it. All you have to do is go to 511tactical.com and use the code SHIELD15. That's S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5 at 511tactical.com and you will save every time you purchase. And to learn more about the company 511 Tactical, You can listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 445 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back onto the show, Mark Ormrod. Now, Mark is a Royal Marines veteran, a triple amputee, an Invictus Games athlete, a jiu-jitsu practitioner, and so much more. So we discuss a host of topics from his work with Reorg, to mental health and everything in between. Before we get to that conversation, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on. Subscribe to the show, leave feedback. I truly love reading your comments and leave a rating. Every five-star rating the podcast receives makes it more and more visible for people looking for a project like this. And this is a library, a free library for you, the audience, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back Mark Ormrod. Enjoy. Mark, I want to say thank you so much for coming back on the Behind the Shield podcast. For everyone listening, we originally did the first episode, which was episode 160. So that was such an incredible story of you know your your life entering the Marines, the injury, post-injury. So for everyone listening, if you haven't heard that, I highly recommend that you go to episode 160 first to bring you up to speed. So uh, where are we finding you today on planet Earth? Geographically, 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 you're finding me in the southwest of England in a quaint little city called Plymouth, where I was born and bred. Beautiful. So what I would love to do first is a kind of icebreaker. I've heard many stories from the UK. Obviously, I'm British. So my family, you know, what they've been going through. Um, and then I've heard, like I said before we start recording, stories from Guernsey, stories from Nick Wickham and, and Liverpool's experience when it comes to the fitness industry. So with you being, you know, having the Marines, you know, the military perspective and also, you know, the adaptive athlete perspective, 
What has the last uh, year or so been like for the Ormrod family? Uh, I reckon very similar to everyone else's in the way that it's been a, a roller coaster, right? So, you know, rewind 12 months. Um, we, were, we were starting off 2020 with a high, right? I had just signed a contract to turn my life story into a movie. That became the focus for my year. And like two weeks later, this whole COVID thing happened. So, you know, we put the brakes on that. But I was working full-time anyway outside of those other projects that I had going on. Uh, working full-time for the Royal Marines charity that I've been working for at that time, nine years. Now, my wife had just got a new job recently working with veterans in Plymouth. And she had gone into this organization that was just over 100 years old. They were they were branching out from vulnerable children and vulnerable adults into the veteran community. And they needed somebody to start what was called the Veterans Hub. So she applied for the job. She got it. She was obviously very good at it because they promoted her quite quickly from a part-time, what they call hub coordinator, to the manager. Then like three weeks after that, they asked her to become part of the senior management team. So all of a sudden, we're in a lockdown. I'm working full-time. My wife's working full-time. We're homeschooling two out of our three kids. And it was hectic. Like, I, I say this, um, anyone who wants to go back and listen to my original story, you know, you, you'll pick up along the way that I've, I've had some tough times and some stuff to deal with. And when I say that homeschooling at the beginning of lockdown was one of the hardest things I've ever done, people laugh because they think it's a joke. And to me, I'm, I'm 100% serious. Like, I never do this, but I was going to bed at night just depressed. I didn't want to get up in the morning because I knew it was going to be another fight to at least one o'clock in the afternoon when we got the homeschooling out of the way. I went through a stage where I think I went six days straight without taking my pajamas off or putting my prosthetic legs on. Didn't leave the house. You know, so we're, we're, we're homeschooling. Me and my wife, after schooling the kids, making sure they get exercise, trying to make sure they eat well and don't just sit in front of computers eating junk food for however long. We're then doing our day jobs from like four o'clock in the afternoon till 11, 12 o'clock every night for months and months and months on end, you know? So, and I know there are people that are a lot worse off. We're fortunate we had a back garden. We got a small front garden. We live in a cul-de-sac. So it's a closed off little area where not many people come to visit unless they need to. So we had those, you know, advantages at our disposal, but, you know, it just became rough. And then... You know, things changed and eased off a little bit. I'm fortunate that I've got a hand bike on a terrible trainer in my garage, a couple of kettlebells, that kind of stuff. So I could work out a bit of that stress every once in a while. Had to completely knock BJJ on the head for pretty much a year. Then things kind of went semi-normal, I guess, didn't they? And gyms over here opened for a little while. So we got to go training again and then boom, they shut them again. So now we're back. You know, I had a lot of people saying like the third lockdown for them was the hardest. Um, I didn't find this, this latest one too bad. Maybe that's because I've finished my, uh, I've, I've now left my job after 10 years. I left in February. So maybe it's not having that extra workload to contend with. That's made it easier for me. But like everyone, mate, it's been a roller coaster, just ups and downs, ups and downs. 
trying to pivot and adapt and figure it all out. But, you know, with every bad, there's always some good. You know, sometimes it's very, very hard to find it. But if you look hard enough, you can pick out the good bits. And, and I honestly think that's maybe the end of this year, if we're fully back to how we were, a lot of people are going to forget all these these hard times. Clearly, not people that have lost loved ones, but, you know, people that have been through some of these struggles and maybe lost a job or just struggled to get through it. You know, I think we're all going to come out the end a lot more resilient and look back on things that prior to COVID used, used to bother us. And we found a challenge and realized that we're a lot stronger now. And actually, they're, they're not that big of a deal. So there's, there's some good to come out of it. But yeah, it's been a roller coaster. So with with the kids, because I can relate completely, I was very lucky that the format that they did for my sons online was kind of, here's the work that needs to be done, help your kids get it done. I've heard conversely that some parents were stuck in front of a computer for hours on end. Some even they had the kids had to take their lunch break in front of their laptop, which is absolutely ridiculous. But, you know, so there's a complete spectrum. We were very lucky, you know, go away, get it done. So, you know, he was able to kind of do it, slot it in between going outside and playing and, you know, some other things. With um with you specifically, how easy was it to get the kids exercise, the kids outside, the kids, you know, playing amongst all that? It it wasn't massively difficult. Um, like I said, we're very lucky. We live in a, a cul-de-sac, so it's like a private end of the road. So there's there's green space outside. They can run around. They could be safe. But that, that was a, a big thing for me. I didn't want them to be locked onto their computer all day doing work and then switch over to the Xbox or to the, the TV and then not leave the house and just be, you know, you can't deprive them of everything because they're struggling probably actually harder than some of us grown-ups are. So you can't just say, no, you're not having the sweets, you're not having the crisps. you got to give them a, a little treat every once in a while. But yeah, it was very important to me to keep them active physically and mentally. So it wasn't too hard to get them out in the beginning. And actually right now, it's hard to try and keep them in. You know, they're just, I think now the, the weather's changing a bit. They're out all the time. My son's just bought some some camouflage gear. So he thinks he's commando now. Running <laughs> around familiar. playing soldiers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I th- it's just nice now. Like it feels to me with the sun's coming out, we're entering spring. Um, it, I've just been to pick them up from school now and for like the best part of a year there was hardly anybody in the playground picking kids up when they went back to um you know where the key workers were allowed to take their kids to school so we could work now i went now and, and it's just flooded with parents so it feels like a little bit of normality is coming back and it is quite nice beautiful now one thing that that i've heard a lot obviously is that the mental health um impact and what struck me with your particular journey is you know you were serving then you you um you know you were injured's the wrong word isn't it you you were wounded that's, that's the word i'm looking mm-hmm. for um and then but then you had the support of the royal marines you you transitioned into the royal marines charity and then the beginning of this year like you said you you ended with them jujitsu was shut down so a lot of these tribes that you had leaned mm-hmm. into before was somewhat right. taken away. What was that like for you specifically with that transition? 
It it was tricky because I feel like I've always belonged to a tribe in in some way, shape, or form, and that's where I thrive when I'm in that small, tight knit community of like minded people that have similar mindsets. So to have that kind of ripped away was challenging, but thanks to technology, you know, we still have WhatsApp groups. We could still FaceTime people, check in on everyone, make sure everyone was all right. But it's it's not quite the same as getting together, doing some form of training, weights, CrossFit, jujitsu, and then going and doing the social side of things, you know, coffee and a, and a catch up type thing, maybe a bit of food. So yeah, it was, it was difficult, but you know, we are, we're getting back there now. We're coming out the other side. So it's all good. Beautiful. Well, I don't know if I've got my timeline right. It seemed like around when COVID hit or maybe just before you had a couple of injuries that were frustrating the hell oh out gosh. of you. So kind of walk me from prior to that to the injuries and then how you were able to rehab that. God, I don't know where to start with this. So you, you're talking about the more recent injuries. Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, wasn't it one of your your femurs that, that you had issues right, with? Yeah. Yeah. So this was before lockdown. I was training for what I thought was going to be my first uh, BJJ contest. And I did my first ever session of no gi. It was on a Sunday. There was just uh, three of us training. And I was with a new guy. And it's my own fault because I thought, you know, when everyone starts, right, they just go with brute force and ignorance and they're aggressive and they use strength. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to control the guy stay relaxed and chilled out but I, I stayed too chilled out and he slammed me on the end of my femur snapped the end of my femur off and that put me out of the game for a little while and when I say out the game just to put this into context for anyone that hasn't heard the first episode I'm, I'm a triple amputee so I'm missing both my legs above the knee and my right arm above the elbow and I smashed my right femur into the floor snapped the end of my bone off and I don't use a wheelchair. I don't own one. I always walk around. If I haven't got prosthetics on, I'm on my bum. But I couldn't put any weight at all on my right leg. So even when I was sat up on my bum, normally I push off my left hand and my right stump to, to bum walk through the house. I couldn't do it. I had to crawl around on my stomach for the first two weeks around my house like a zombie, <laughs> right? Just pull myself on my left arm up the stairs, down the stairs, from the front room to the bathroom it it was just it was hectic but even even then though I, I look at it and i kind of it got hard sometimes and i'm fortunate that i've got my family around me to when i got lazy and tired to you know go and grab me a glass of water or whatever but sometimes you just laugh i just found myself lying there just laughing at the the stupidity of the situation you know i'm crawling around on my belly in my house with three limbs missing it, there's not much more that could go wrong. Do you know what I mean? And then I and I recover from that and end up, I got up in the morning early. I was going to the gym, put my legs on. I'm panic, not panicking, but you know, I'm, I want to get there like five to seven normally before anyone gets there to get in and get the, the equipment. So I'm rushing around and I trip over my own foot, reach out, kind of karate chop the side of the wardrobe with my, my little finger and then break my hand. So I end up with my hand in a in a cast for 
a couple of weeks and then I couldn't even do my day job because every time I was trying to push the keyboard on my computer, the cast would hit another button. So, you know, I was getting like super frustrated with that. And then I recovered from that and was doing a charity event for my wife's work. It was like a sponsored row. And when I row normally, I use a concept two. And I had a specially designed seat that clamps onto the rail and you don't use the backwards and forwards seat. You sit there fixed and use your upper body. But they had a techno gym rower. So I just kind of improvised and wrapped some TheraBand around the seat to hold it in place, left my legs on. Normally I take them off and I just started rowing. And there was no back support on the seat. Normally I have a something behind me, like a normal chair to support me. And I got off there and I pulled something in my back, which turned into some form of sciatica so every time i would stand up it was like someone had, had driven a kebab knife into my ass cheek and it you know that, that took about six months to heal like i did all the physio there was just nothing you could do about it i was doing all the physio stretching resting icing heating everything you could think of everything i was told but it was just a case of you have to wait there's nothing you can do to speed this up there's no rule of this. It could take two weeks. It could take a year. You just got to ride it out. And it was awful. That was just like every time I stood up on my prosthetics because I have to use my glute muscles to, I have to engage them to stand up. It was just horrendous, the pain going down my left bum cheek. So yeah, in, in the space of 12 months, bearing in mind prior to actually losing my legs and arm, I'd never injured myself before. And all the crazy stuff I did, I never broke or fractured a bone. Then I get blown up and I go eight or nine years, fine. And then all of a sudden I have this concentrated period of three major injuries in a 12-month window. And it was just like, gee, and then lockdown come after that. So it's just like rolling with the punches, you know, it's just, it was crazy. But like I said earlier, it you, you always come out the end of it stronger. You just got to ride these things out and, and improvise, adapt and overcome. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, and you, you walk the walk literally and metaphorically when it comes to that. But I think that's a very important point when you get, whether you've been, you know, wounded or whether, you know, you've been very lucky physically up to a certain point. I find, and it seems to align with a lot of other people's stories that when, when you get an injury, if you're not careful, there's a domino effect and that one injury then throws off other things in your body so people mm -hmm. tend you know you have an injury in your your back or your knee or your shoulder and then lo and behold there's this whole freaking catastrophic cascade that follows behind it so and i think a lot of people get discouraged so i think it's very important that people hear you know men and women like you that have been through incredible trauma that still have to you know bite down on the mouth guard when they get a new injury and and be patient because sadly a lot mm -hmm. of people go directly to drugs and and surgery without just giving the body time to actually fix itself mm -hmm. yeah not a big fan of drugs um i don't mean recreational drugs i'm not a fan of them either but medication it, it's the last port of call for me you know i i i I'm a big fan of just meditating. This is going to sound so strange, but like I just, I'll sit there with headphones on for half an hour and I'll focus on healing and I'll, I'll do it like every day. And I don't know, it may work. It may not work. It may 
cause my brain to send some sort of signal to the injured part of my body to heal it quick or whatever. I don't know, but I just prefer that method. And when it comes to pain, just riding it out within reason, you know, to make sure that my body adapts and can deal with it naturally because then I think it, it remembers, you know what I mean? It it stores those memories of how to deal with that pain rather than shortcutting it with, with medication and stuff There there are times when it's, I guess I'm going to say essential to take medication, but if I have the choice of taking it and not taking it, then I'll not take it every time. Absolutely. Well, with with that being said, I remember I think it was Tim Ferriss had a guest on um, years ago now, and he was talking about the placebo effect and how there was a one study where they took a bunch of um, I think it was like MCL patients, you know, knee injury patients, mm-hmm. and half of them they did surgery on all of them, they opened them all up, but they only actually did the fix on half of them, so they all had an incision, and I forget what it was, but, but almost all the ones that were the placebo also felt immediate relief so i think there's a huge huge yeah. element of you know of the power of the mind when it comes to, to yeah. healing and pain control yeah absolutely i i do too I, I don't know where i came to this realization but i just i absolutely do it's i kind of looked at all those opportunities as an opportunity to get stronger mentally you know and just think to myself right i'm just gonna figure this out what's going to work for me you know to overcome this to ride this out be patient change my mindset look at things differently find the good in this bad situation you know and then and come out the other end stronger absolutely well with with um the healing element one thing that's worked for me on more recent injuries uh, knee pain especially being the the most recent one was cbd something i discovered about I think it's about three, three, four years ago mm-hmm. now. Um, and I saw mm-hmm. on your little link tree on um, Instagram that you align with the brand as well. So tell me your experience yeah. with CBD. Um, probably similar to yours. I, I, I was very uh, conscious that there may be a placebo effect with it. So I, I tried it out to start with. And I'll tell you what I found initially. It was I didn't really take it for the the pain relief or anything like that. But I was I felt so stressed out with work and the homeschooling and, and everything else, the big change to my routine that I just wanted something to, to chill me out a little bit, you know? And I and I got this, I got the I think it was a thousand milligram in a like a dropper. And I would just take it. I was at the time I was um rejigging my evening routine, you know, so I would uh take it in the evening before bed just to kind of decompress from the day and and i found a lot of i I honestly don't know if it's a placebo effect or if it actually works but i I find it beneficial i find it very beneficial to take yeah well i think one thing i tell people is when it comes to cbd and people hear that it's from hemp i think there's almost like a a reverse placebo effect that people are expecting it not to work and it still does okay you know what i mean so that's what i think people are very skeptical usually but i tell people as well it's not a miracle drug that okay you know mark took cbd and now his pain's gone away it's to me it bolsters it so for example say you're 
you know, you're, you're having inflammation, you're having pain. Well, CBD, I think it definitely addresses the inflammation, but you're also sleeping better. Like you said, you're not as stressed. Yeah. So then the sleep is what then adds to your, right. your plan. And then with the pain, so your pain is less. Now you're able to go do your PT exercises. You know what I yeah. mean? So I feel it's more like um, what we call in the fire service cribbing, like filling the gaps so that the, mm-hmm. the body can then heal itself. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah, because that, that's what a lot of it is. I think if you, you solve one of the problems, like you say, you can sleep better. That means you're going to wake up with more energy. You're going to be in a better mood. And then maybe you can go and do that workout that you couldn't do when you weren't sleeping so well. Then you do the workout again. It compounds better mental health, better physical health, better mood. And you go out into your day, you become more productive. You work harder. You're better around people, your, your spouse, your children, and then and on and on and on and on and on. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Brilliant. Well, another perspective I want to get from you. You have always been, you know, high-level athlete. You competed at the Invictus Games, and you know, you're a jiu-jitsu athlete. And this last year, um, like Nick Wickham was saying, I think everyone can agree when it first, when this thing first swept over the globe, we were all bracing to see exactly what it looked like. As the year progressed. Um, I think, sadly, a conversation that was lost was addressing overall health of the Brits, the Americans, the Australian, everyone around the planet, and how that's actually make you more resilient to not only this virus, but other ones too. So then questioning, you know, BJJ schools being closed, gyms being closed. Sadly, I think a lot of small business, you know, healthy restaurants have closed, yet, you know, McDonald's and Burger King have thrived and all this. Um, what has been your, just your observation on the uh, the aggressive nature of closing down a lot of these positive outlets and the effect that whether it's you personally or whether you've seen, you know, military friends or people in the community, but that kind of philosophy of taking, in my opinion, taking away a lot of the things that were actually making people more resilient? A lot of it just didn't seem to make any sense to me. Like that. No, I, I don't watch the news. This is how my mental health stays so positive because I don't get sucked into all that kind of stuff. But so I may get some some of these facts wrong, but I'm pretty sure there was a point in one of the lockdowns where they opened up pubs, maybe, but not gyms. And I just didn't understand that. I'm like, well, alcohol is a depressant. Right. So what you're going to do is get a bunch of caged animals now have been locked in the houses and you're going to introduce alcohol into the equation. They're going to get aggressive. A lot of them, because there'll be a lot of young people out there trying to let off some steam. There's going to be fighting. There's going to be people in close proximity. I can't see the positive side of this, but you'll keep the gyms closed where people could go and let off steam in that way. And there's nothing but a positive outcome from it. People are getting fitter. They're letting off steam. They're de-stressing. Their mental health's improving. And then, like you say, yeah, like the healthy restaurants, the small independent ones, weren't allowed to open, but your Burger Kings and your McDonald's and your KFCs were. And everything just seemed back to front to me. It it didn't make any sense why, like you say, all these businesses and, and organizations that weren't particularly healthy, you know, promoted a healthy lifestyle, were the first to open and you know I, I i just i feel so sorry for the small business owners the independent coffee shop owners the you know the small bakers and all these people that probably won't ever open again 
you know, in favor of what? Big corporations, you know, McDonald's and, and these kind of guys. Um, yeah, it sucks. It sucks. I just think, I don't know. I was going to say if I was in charge, but probably it's all right to say that. I just, it, it makes sense to me to, to have opened up businesses and anything really that was going to promote positive mental health but that didn't happen yeah no i i agree 100 percent, and it's you know it's heartbreaking when you see these outside workout areas you know pull-up bars and stuff that we had it exactly the same as you guys had where that you know that was taped off when you know playing fields were, were locked and it's like this is outside mm-hmm. even the beaches luckily florida florida got on board very quickly to reopening they really did and i'm mm-hmm. trying to actually get our governor on the show i think that would be a great conversation because i think he did did a lot right even though when you watch the news outside of our state it's doom and gloom and everyone in florida is dying in the streets which is absolute bullshit but um but yeah i mean i think like jocko willink you know i mean his massive victory mma in san diego was cl- closed for i don't know if it's open yet but for months and months and months so mm-hmm. not only are the business owners losing their their income, their ability to feed their their families and put a roof over their head, but every single one of those those you know BJJ practitioners or fitness members has a story. And as you know, especially mm-hmm. in the in the tactical professions, a lot of them that's that's the outlet. That's the way they decompress. It's the way they they offload some of the stuff that's kind of spinning around their head too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think I think I covered it all then when I was just just talk i'm just going to repeat myself but it, it just didn't make any sense you know um gyms i think were even proven to be some of the most sterile places you know when they first opened in that kind of midway period there, there was hand sanitizer at every station i mean the 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 polite old school long-term whatever you want to call them gym goers would always spray down their kit between sets anyway. You know what I mean? When they finished on a machine, they would spray it down out of courtesy for the next person. This was well before COVID. You know, so these this equipment was always getting cleaned down and, and sterilized. And, you know, it was a safer place to be than jammed in a McDonald's. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't know. I just, I, I'm just looking forward to things going back to how they were before where I can get back into those groups and around those kind of people with the same kind of mindset. Absolutely. Well, so transitioning to that, I'd love to talk about Reorg. So you're already involved with Reorg while you're still with the Royal Marines um, charity. What made you transition full-time to, to Reorg? Oh, I'm not full-time. Oh, you're not? I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm, so I'm a trustee, but I, I kind of have been involved since, obviously, I started training BJJ. So... I'm very good friends with Sam, the founder. And, you know, I'm not like, a, I'm not a full-time employee. I don't get paid or anything like that. I just, it's a volunteer role, but I just love training. I love the, the community in the BJJ world. So now that I'm effectively unemployed, I have a bit more time for other things like that. So I'm, I'm just trying to help out where I can to make this, this beast grow. Cause it's already gone global. Um, and, you know, there's phenomenal support around the world. I've seen what it can do to people's lives who are struggling mentally and physically. And I've been in the charity world for a long time, about 11 or 12 years. And this is the first 
kind of organization where I've seen this done. I mean, sport is well known for um, helping to improve people's mental health, recovery and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's very different using BJJ. So, for example, when I first got injured, I always used to have people come up to me and say, it was it was the funniest thing. They'd come up to me and see I was missing three limbs and say, when are you training for the Paralympics then? Like it was a prerequisite of being disabled. You had to be a Paralympian. Like if you're tall, you have to play basketball. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a um, martial arts background before I was injured. Uh, full contact kickboxing, Muay Thai and boxing. I used to, to fight competitively. And I looked at disabled sports and I'm like, no, none of these pique my interest in the slightest. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to be a hundred meter sprinter. Why do I want to train like six or seven times a week to run a hundred meters in a straight line? It wasn't, just wasn't me. And then, and I think there are a lot of people with that, that same kind of attitude, you know, but then with BJJ, with martial arts, it helped me to reconnect with that part of me. I thought I'd lost forever from the kickboxing, the Muay Thai, the boxing, and and even to a degree being a commando you know because you have you kind of define yourself by that physicality and being that quote unquote alpha male you know and just getting in a good tear up with somebody to me is a, a lot more appealing than running 100 meters in a straight line against someone else with prosthetic legs I'm, i you know I, I don't mean to make it sound like i'm disrespecting it it's just not for me you know and, and bjj was for me and that is the same for a lot of people because I've seen it. I've seen it face to face, changing people's lives, and and actually on on some occasions saving people's lives. Absolutely, which is so important to keep them open. But um, so you said you transitioned from the Royal Marines charity. So what what was the job that you went into then? I didn't. Oh, you just I, you, I left. You retired out. I, I reti- so I did my ten years. My wife went full time. It was a huge struggle. And I knew it wasn't going to get any easier, even when life went back to normal, because I was on the road a lot when I was working. So I'd be away from home. So I kind of stepped down to free up some more time to help out around around the house and, and to help out with the family and to do my own thing. And I've always got plates spinning. You know, I'm just finishing my second book now. Like I said, we signed a, a contract to do some film work. I've had Amazon reaching out to me. There's, there's certain things I can do, I, you know, film extras when they need people with my kind of injuries. I've been doing all sorts of different things here, there, and everywhere. So I don't really have a job title. I just kind of say entrepreneur because I've also I'm also involved in uh, real estate, property, uh, investing in business, and and all sorts of other things. So um, that's all on my own terms, though. So I can do it when I want. I'm, I don't answer to anybody. I don't have a schedule that's given to me. I, I run my own timetable, and it just feels better to be to be able to do what I want when I want, wherever I want. Yeah, I can relate completely because I retired out of the fire service after 14 years, and you know some of those years were spent working for a very good organization, and some was spent working for a not very good organization. The the latter was the most recent. So. It was incredibly liberating. Um, what did that feel like for you working for, again, a, you know, a very large organization like the Royal Marines to have that complete autonomy, to wake up one day and go, ah, oh, shit, I don't answer to 
anyone anymore except my wife. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it was a little bit daunting to start with. Um, you know, I'd been in the Royal Marines for 10 years, transitioned straight into the charity for 10 years. So that had been my life. It had been in and around the Royal Marines. And while I'll always, that will always be my life. Like my, my peer group is 90% serving or retired Royal Marines. But it, it was a leap. It was a kind of a cutting of the cord, if you like, and going out and doing my own thing. And, you know, did, did I have what it takes to do my own thing? Fortunately, during the 10 years that I did work for them, I was, well, I think I was smart. You know, I saved a lot of money. I invested a lot of money. Like I said, just now invested in property, you know, started building my portfolio while I was employed. So it gave me a bit of breathing space when I came out. And now my, my job effectively now is managing my life. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, you, um, over here, you've got real estate. Over here, you've got book projects, movie projects. Over here, you've got a podcast. Over here, you've got business investments. Over here, you've got X, Y, and Z. And it's constantly just trying to spin these plates and juggle it and make sure that it's all eventually coming in the same direction um, to take me and my family to to where I want us to be. You know, it's, it's, it is literally full-time managing my own life which is intertwined with my business it's, it's great it's not work-life balance it's work-life integration so the great thing is i'm in control the not so great thing is that it's not 40 hours a week it's every hour of the week every week of the month every month of the year it's your life you know so you can't be complaining when you're working at 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night because you've chosen to do that you know, but it, it's nice. I just, it's exciting, you know, all the different projects that come up, all the, the ideas that I have that I put on paper, they don't always come to fruition, but they're there and I'm constantly growing and I'm constantly outside my comfort zone now. Like when I was working and I was employed, I could to a degree at, at some times hide within my comfort zone and know that it was a paycheck coming at the end of the month. But now you have to push yourself outside of it to go and I'm not going to say chase a paycheck, but pursue that paycheck and then keep trying to build it and grow it. Not out of greed, but out of that sense of growth, you know, and to prove into yourself every month, I've done a bit better this month. I've done a bit better this month. I've learned something. I've done a better this month and just keep growing and moving forward and, and building, building all the time. See, I mean, at first, yes, that's amazing. And I can relate so much, especially with the the hours, because I don't consider them work hours. Just like you said, I love that word of integration. But when I think about it, the moment I wake up, I'm thinking about what I'm doing. And then right before I go, I mean, we're watching TV at night and I got my laptop on. But it's not to take away from being present with the family. I'll put it down. But yeah, it's it's a passion project. But one thing for me, and it'd be interesting to see if you had the same experience I was a firefighter before, and before that, I was a lifeguard because, very long story short, and if you remember when we were at school, they do all the eye tests. Well, I failed the color vision. They said, yeah, you're shit. You can't be anything fun. Go work in a pizza factory. So <laughs> it took me a long time to get over that and realize that that was absolute crap. But um, So anyway, I became a firefighter, and after 14 years, it was very hard for my ego to put the uniform down. But as the special forces community refers to a lot, I realized that what I'm doing with this, with the book that I wrote, um, 
you're a force multiplier. Like you can pick up a rifle and go be one Marine next to a bunch of Marines. Whereas now for me, each one of these episodes gets listened to thousands and thousands of times. Well, that's thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of people that are out in their communities doing good things with their lives. So did you, did you struggle with that transition? And did you find that ultimately that through line of just being a good person and helping others was what carried over from wearing the uniform to not wearing the uniform? Yeah, I think so to to a degree. You know, I, I kind of think that I swapped. So I was in the Marines, right? And I swapped my military uniform for a charity polo shirt, which was my uniform. And then when I left that, I think I swapped my charity polo shirt for a BJJ gi. Do you know what I mean? And a microphone. And like you say, yeah, now you can, you can reach out and to, I mean, it's like, and I don't mean this in a negative way. It's like having your shackles taken off and just, and realizing what you can do and, and what positivity you can spread and how many people you can help. And after that initial adjustment period, I found it very liberating. You know, like, like just now being able to go to school, pick my kids up and not think about rushing back to check my emails to make sure that I'm, you know, earning my paycheck. You know, it, it's, um, and, and people like Jocko, they're a big inspiration to me. You know, I look at them and, and look what they do. I didn't actually realize how much that guy does. You know, I, I obviously knew the podcast, everyone did, but then you see the uh, origin company he's got with the jeans, the geese, the, the MMA gym that he's got, the Echelon Front Consultancy that he does. I think he's written like 18 books or something. I got a bunch of them upstairs, the kids ones. And I'm just like, this this dude's insane. Like, And he he is actually, you know, when I am struggling, I look at everything he's achieved and I'm like, right, that's this is the road I want to go down. I, I like what he does. You know, I want to write more books. I want to do more podcasts. I want to do very similar stuff. And I have all those opportunities and those freedoms to do that now. And, it, and it's great. And if I, if I mess it up, it's on me. If I'm successful, it's not, it's on the team around me, you know, because I don't do this on my own. I've got a real good bunch of people around me that help me just like I'm sure he has. Absolutely. What the project that you said that you're very passionate about is Reorg. That's what you're doing the fundraiser for. And we'll talk about that in a little bit about smashing goals. Um, but I listened to your podcast, No Limits, with uh, Sam Sheriff, who is the yeah. Reorg founder and a good friend of yours. So mm-hmm. I don't think last time we really kind of laid out what Reorg is. You know what the the men and women that they were trying to help that you know the problem that was identified, and in Sam's journey from PTI through to to the, its genesis. So mm-hmm. um if we want to start first like tell me about the beginning of Reorg and then tell me about you know the kind of veterans responders that it's it's seeking to help now. Yeah, so originally Reorg Sam created Reorg as a way to help psychologically and physiologically wounded Royal Marines. That was it. He he was he's a serving Royal Marines physical training instructor, the head of Royal Marines Unarmed Combat. He was the guy that got Brazilian Jiu Jitsu recognized as a sport within the Royal Marines, even though everyone said it would never happen. You know, he forged away from and he was the first black belt, serving black belt within the Royal Marines. So he he did it all. And originally, like I said, it was just for 
Royal Marines because we're a very small community at 7,000 men at full strength. You know, it's very insular at, at certain times. And that very quickly expanded. You know, I met Sam in the sergeant's mess uh, one time and he approached me about training jujitsu. And I've been approached by people before about retraining in martial arts, people that knew my background. And I just knew a lot of it was was guff because I don't have any legs. I've only got one arm. I can't do punches and kicks and kata and all that stuff. And when he asked me to do jujitsu, I just thought, okay, we got another one here, right? Because I done, I didn't know the difference between Japanese jujitsu and Brazilian jujitsu. I just thought jujitsu was jujitsu, and I did that when I was younger. I got to like the third belt and then quit when I was like fourteen, and it was a lot of jumping and rolling around and wrist locking and and all this kind of stuff. But because he was a Royal Marines PTI, I thought. Right, I'll, I'll give it a go and, you know, see what we can do. And then I went into that first session and I'm like, what is this? Why am I, I'm rolling around on the ground getting my ass kicked. What, this isn't what I did when I was a kid. And then he explained to me the difference, you know, what Brazilian jiu-jitsu was and grappling. And I thought, well, I can do this, like on hard work and discipline, not pity. And I was kind of hooked from that first session. And so we started training regularly all the time. And I didn't realize at the time, I look back now and I was very fortunate. Sam was a purple belt when I met him. He's a black belt now. And I get this one-on-one tuition. A couple of times I get thrown in the shark tank with a bunch of other lads back in the beginning. But for 90% of the time, I'm getting one-on-one training with this guy who's super experienced and, and knows what he's doing. And so I started developing and, and going through the stripe system. And then as I was getting more involved it was just evolving bigger and bigger and bigger. And so it went then from just Royal Marines to tri-service military. And they started getting affiliated in academies all over the world, you know, America, Australia, Brazil, everywhere. You can think of there's academies that are affiliated. And then we in our kind of military community, have very close connections with guys. They lead the military, they go in the police, the fire service, the ambulance service, whatever it was, the blue light industry. And they, we then branched out into the emergency services as well. So as it stands, reorg is in gyms all over the world. We work with serving and retired military, all blue light services, police, ambulance, fire brigade, because they all, go through severe trauma as well in their careers, you know, and this is just such a great vehicle for, for therapy. And we realized as well, BJJ isn't the only benefit that people were getting from it. It was the, the outside of it, the community side of it, because it's certainly the closest thing that I've ever experienced to that military camaraderie. I can't speak for the, the blue light services. because I've never been in them, but I imagine it's very similar you know, you get that core group of people that you stick around with the same kind of mindset. And when you leave and you go into the civilian world, you lose it and you, and you kind of, you long for it. And BJJ was the, the thing that I found that replicated it. So it wasn't just being on the mats. It was, you know, being part of this WhatsApp group or being able to talk to this guy because he gets me and going out and meeting up with these guys for coffee and, and chats. And, you know, you could just, it, it literally, like in the military, I I could travel all around the world and just pick up the phone if I know there's a Royal Marine, even if I've never met him, and I say, 
All right, Royal, can I crash on your sofa? Of course you can, mate. No worries. Here's my address. Probably never met the guy, right? And that's the kind of the way it is. And it was similar to that in the BJJ world where you just travel around the country and you meet these people for the first time and it's like you've known them for for years. You know, so there were all the benefits of that. It was like the the connection that people found really beneficial as well. And so it's just going from strength to strength. It's exciting to see where it's going to go in the future. You know, it's um, it's actually, I think the biggest problem right now is containing it and not letting it run away of itself too much. You know, you hear these horror stories about maybe businesses that get too big too quick and then they just go because it's been too successful. They've been a victim of their own success. That's probably the biggest problem right now is just trying to keep a handle on it and keep it driving down the the mission that Sam set out on achieving when he started it, you know, and keeping it solid. Yeah. Well, I love the metaphor that you talked about where, whereas you switch your uniform for a gi because I've, I've had the mm. same thing. Like I'm blue belt at the moment, brand spanking new blue belt still feel like I should be a white belt because it's been a while too, since mate. I was on the mat. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> so when I go there, I'm just going to paint mine white. <laughs> Um, but you know, it, there is that camaraderie. And I think I see the same in good CrossFit gyms. I see the same at like Tough Mudders and Spartan races. And it's that sense of community, that sense of tribalism. And it is so healing. I just did a, um, help with a gala for Operation Enduring Warrior. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They, um, they take wounded veterans and responders through Spartan races, uh, skydiving, you know, diving, oh, wow. all these kind of mm-hmm. things, and basically empower these men and women that have had some sort of career-ending injury to be like, yeah, you can't do it the same way as you used to be able to do it, but you absolutely can do what you used to do. It's just going to look different now. Um, so another great organization. But yeah, I mean, that that transition, it, it's so important for us in police and fire and EMS as well to have that next tribe to go to because when like the fire service is brutal like you will literally walk out the fire station the door will close behind you and that's it you're done that group that you rode that rig with for years and years you're not part of that anymore so mm-hmm. i think that jujitsu is such an amazing you know art in itself and then if you get a good gym and that's that's the other thing so you got to find a good gym which i'm sure reorg is instrumental making sure that they align with good gyms um that's so important then to have that to to either already be a part of or transition into. Yeah. And, and here's another beautiful thing, right? So I coach uh, Ben Wadham. He, he trains me. He trained me for the Invictus Games. He trained me for the run I think we're going to chat about. He's training me for the swim uh, that I'm going to do. He's a former Royal Marines PTI as well. And he has his own – he's a big CrossFitter. He's got all these qualifications and degrees and everything. And he took uh, recruits through training. So he's – done it all right and he's got his own gym and he's big into crossfit and there's a reorg section in his gym but what you were saying just now about that having that you know that crossfit kind of tribe i i can already see this evolving now into that arena as well so maybe people don't like bjj but they're passionate about crossfit i can almost see that becoming a branch of it now as well because it's so popular and like you say people they have that that empowering tribe in that in that area yeah. Well, I think those two go hand in hand as well. Like perfect example, you know, the the, the grip training for jujitsu. I've, I've, like I said, I'm absolute beginner. But when it came to the grip endurance, people were like, how come you're so skinny, but you're so strong? And it was, mm-hmm. I'm sure, from all the rope climbs and all the stuff, you know, the kettlebell training and all that. So yeah. I think the CrossFit and jujitsu absolutely kind of um, 
you know, align with each other and make make each side better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know for a fact that I don't know if it was CrossFit, whatever it was that Ben was training me with, you know, sled pulls, burpees, sled drags, um, all the, all these things we were doing. He introduced that to me when I was training for the Invictus Games. And it absolutely had a phenomenal effect on my performance. Like, I, I'm not very technically gifted or, you know, full of knowledge. I just do what I'm told. And it absolutely made a difference for me. And it, and it does in, in BJJ as well. Like, the core stuff that he has me doing absolutely translates to the mats. You know, I, I, just, I just love it all. I love all of it. Like, I've got half a body left, but everything that these guys teach me, whether it's in whether it's Ben in the gym or Sam on the mats, utilizes every part of my body I have left to its max. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know you could choke someone out with your shoulder, but you can. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Never used my never used my shoulder in my life. And it quite you know, it really hit home for me actually when I watched the Conor McGregor Cowboy Cerrone fight. And he, he I've never seen anybody hit anyone with a shoulder like that before. And it was just at that time when I was in my own journey using my shoulder in jujitsu and I was like, wow, like who would ever think that part of your body could be used as a weapon. But now I figure out how to use even my chin. My chin is like, I use it. I think I was listening to, uh, it was Kit Dale, I think talking about BJJ concepts and he, they were talking about something called the porcupine concept where you use the hard parts of your body and the soft parts of theirs. So I was like, well, what hard parts have I got? I've got an elbow, you know, a bit of a knobbly wrist and a big pointy chin. So I just started using my chin on everyone in their ribs, in their lats, in their sternum, just making it uncomfortable, you know, so they would have to wriggle around, make some space and I can move around. So I just, it just opened my mind. I love it. I absolutely love it. The, the, the constant journey of learning. Yeah. And then what I like about it as well is it's different for each of us. I'm actually moving to, to a new gym um, for I mean, the old gym I trained at, I just wasn't ge- geographically close, and I would go off shift when I worked to the fire station down there. I don't live down there. I mean, I don't work down there anymore, so I had to find somewhere else. But um, you know, I'm six foot tall and one seventy. So what's that like uh, seventy kilograms? I think something like that. Fourteen stone. Um, and uh, you know, so I'm a very different shape than Jocko Dean Lister. You know, I'm a very different shape than you know a ninety pound you know, female jujitsu practitioner. So for each one of us, again, like you said, we've got to find out what works for our body type because I can't muscle people. I'm long and lanky, you know what I mean? But I have elbows and, you know, shins like blades that like you're saying, if I can kick someone with them or, or dig them into their throat, they don't like it very much. So no, you got to find no. the strengths against their weaknesses. Absolutely. And I, I remember <laughs> this one time that I was training with Sam and I didn't realize it till about a minute into the round, but he had tucked both of his hands into his belt and he was only using his feet. And I swear to God, I couldn't pass his guard. His feet were like little fingers and he was just grabbing my gi with them and put, and I'm like, what are you doing? And, I was, and in the end, I had to have a word myself because I, I felt myself getting angry and frustrated. And I'm like, this is not what it's about, Mark. You're learning here. You're learning here. Just figure out, figure this out. Like, enjoy it. Enjoy this process of learning. And actually, like, opening your mind to realize that even if this guy didn't have any arms, he could still whip your ass. And uh, I, I just I even love that. Do you know what I mean? It's just, if you just take away all the lessons and the learnings, 
you know, what you learn about yourself after every session, it's just, it's just phenomenal. And anyone who trains it knows exactly what I'm talking about. Now, one thing I've struggled with in, in some places is, and, you know, and I'm a part of the problem, absolutely, is there's a tendency, especially when you're a lower belt, to fight, to muscle, to try and win the role. What have you found, um, that to, to tell your partner what, what's, or, or what kind of environment to look for where you can have those good roles where you're still trying to, you know, get to the submissions, you're still trying to get the other person to tap, but you're not muscle fighting the same way as in Muay Thai, you're swinging for the fences versus, you know, 50% sparring and actually be able to put combinations together. I think for me, in, in the times when I've sparred against other people of, of different grades, it takes me, I just spend a couple of minutes, maybe a minute, figuring them out. You know, are they attack? Uh, going to attack me? Are they going to defend? What are they going to do? And it's rare that I have somebody who looks at someone in my situation and goes, right, I'm going to trash this bloke. You know, generally they're pretty respectful. But on the occasion that you get one or two that do want to go hell for leather with you, I just go defensive and I'll just get straight on my back and figure stuff out from there and just, I find it helpful just to keep moving, just to not stop, keep moving. And then eventually people gas out because they're going too hard and you just, def- and they get frustrated. And then, you know, you're in the superior position then and you can surprise them, you know, but then if there are guys that are the opposite, some, some are very defensive, aren't they? Um, and then it becomes like the chess game and you got to try and figure it out. But I, I don't use muscle with people because I really can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what it is in pounds now, but when I'm training and I don't have my prosthetics on, I'm about nine stone six. So I don't know. I have no clue what that is in pounds, but it's not a lot. I weighed more than that when I was 12 years old before I was injured. So it's difficult for me to muscle somebody. Um, So I have to really rely on staying calm and staying in control and just looking for opportunities. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, because I think that's what I find with the older athletes, and I'm one of them now, sadly, at 47 later this month, is, you know, when you get in that muscle fighting, it's a lot easier to crank your neck, to pull a shoulder, to, you know, and, and then that puts people off. It puts people off for a good reason. They're in, they're in pain. They can't turn their head. And I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, what, wh- what's the, the way of approaching jujitsu? Like, I, in, in striking, I'm good because if you hit me hard, I'm going to pop you in the face once really hard and then say, let's just take it down. Enough of that. <laughs> but in, in jiu-jitsu, I'm still trying to figure out, like, how do you explain to someone, hey, I know we could fight, but let's take it down a little bit so that we can roll because I'm not very good and I want to learn too. Uh, do you know, I, w- I would just take every opportunity as a learning opportunity for you and get what you want out of it. If they want to go hell for leather, right, and be aggressive, and their aim is to tap you. Don't let them tap you, but just go on the defensive and see what you can learn. I mean, if you can put your ego in check and be like, okay, this dude might tap me. I'm not going to make it easy for him. Do you know what I mean? And just and just try and learn. You've always just. I think it's all just about learning. That's the whole point of it, isn't it? You know, learn when you're when you're in training, and so you don't make the mistakes when you're competing. Absolutely. Well, with you bringing in, as you said, the blue light services. What has been your observation of law enforcement? I mean, you've probably seen on the news there have been some cases spotlighted where, you know, sadly people have been killed in America, sometimes 
due to a lack of fitness and ability to go hands-on confidently. Have you seen a good transition in in the the British law enforcement and, and a and a adherence to BJJ the last few years? I haven't had that much interaction um, with anyone really outside the military community because it's in being inclusive of the blue light services is something that's been quite new. And then obviously with the last year, the way it's been, I will, when we get back on the road and things are back to normal, I haven't had that much interaction with them face to face, you know? So it's something I'm actually looking forward to. So I can, you know, maybe in 12 months time, answer that question, but I don't know. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to find out. Absolutely. All right. Well, then switching to some kind of relationships you have before we get to the fundraiser, I had uh, Staz and Jay on from um, Through Dark. So tell me okay. about that relationship. Um, in what terms? Well, just with with Rio, because I know you've got that beautiful gi that I'm gonna I'm gonna actually I've got a birthday coming up. I might buy it for that. But the uh, the <laughs> Through Dark Through Dark Rio gi, I've got to make sure the gym I'm joining won't be offended by a black gi. But um with a blue belt <laughs> um but yeah i mean tell me some of the some of the great individuals that are aligning within the uk and the military um with reorg yeah through through dark are great they're um it's a company owned by retired special forces operators who you know with their backgrounds are into the outdoors and, and that they've got it's a clothing company through with extreme outdoors activities and from what i've hard from sam because sam negotiates all these deals and relationships they've been phenomenal you know they've got a great and a strong brand and reorg is a great and a strong brand and this is where the magic happens when you bring two great strong brands together for the betterment of the bigger picture you know so they that that gear that they've got is absolutely incredible it's it's very lightweight it's it's hard wearing it looks great the, the way they've mashed the logos up together, you know, is is phenomenal. And they that's going to, you know, reach out, if you like, to that other community, the special forces community that want to train, because that's an even smaller community than the Royal Marines, you know? So that's going to be inclusive of, of those guys who are, I don't need to tell you how phenomenal they are. Um, and yeah, it's just going to, this is, this is where it's all at, you know, these strong brand collaborations for, for a common cause. And, and the common cause is helping people. You know, that's what it's all about. What about BeaverFit? That's a company I've just come across recently. I'm actually supposed to be talking to one of the guys today, um, but I saw they align with you. They seem to align with a lot of great organizations. And I see, of course, this cross-pollination between groups of amazing men and women that, that their philosophies, you know, align. So have you personally been exposed to their stuff? Equipment, yes. The Tom, the, the owner, not yet. Hopefully when things go back to normal, I'll get to meet him. But again, yeah, another big, solid, well-established brand collaborating with Reorg for the betterment of the people that we're here to help. You know, it's, I'm going to nerd out on it, but I'm just, it's so exciting when you see, I'm, I'm a big, big, big fan of win, 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 win situations. You know what I mean? Not not you win, I lose, I win, you lose. I win, you win, they win, we all win. I love that. And that's what I love about all these relationships I see getting formed is that it's, they're all like-minded people that are about win-win situations. Win for them, 
win for us, win for the bigger picture, the people that were there to help. You know, and, and long may it continue. We just got a new Sam's just got me uh, a new gi from from Hyperfly on its way to us. We've got relationships with the Tammy. You know, and even in those kind of situations, I think um, you know those guys are effectively competitors, but they're still happy to work with Reorg because they want to help people. You know, they want to help you know help us to promote that bigger picture. So you know, this this is what Reorg does. It brings people together. It brings people together. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I've seen too. I mean, we. You probably haven't seen it in England. I don't remember it being a thing. But over here, say you had, um, oh God, I forget. I'm think, forgetting of a couple of brands. But, you know, like a, an electronics company. Like we have one called Best mm-hmm. Buy here. Well, then the competitor yep. will build one right next door. And their goal oh, is to really? just destroy the other one, you know. And it's what I love about what I see with you and Aligning. I know even um, Wes Whitlock's Rogue, Rogue American makes your stuff over yep. here. Um, yep. You know, I just see all these great people and the more guests I get on, the more of those guests I see are friends with each other. But it's the same with even the people I chose, I chose, I pursued as sponsors for this show, Thorn Supplements mm-hmm. and 511 Tactical and GovX. These are just great organizations that are also doing really good things for the first responders, for the military. Um, and so if we if we as the public are going to give our money to an organization, well, why not let them know who the worthy ones are, who the ones whose whose core of their business model is actually to make a difference in the world and not to take as much as they can and give as little back. Right. And I'm going to butcher this quote. I know I am, but I heard a a quote a while ago. It's along the lines of, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Something like that. And that's what I'm all about. You know, I mean, I, I in in my personal life, I keep my circles very tight. I've I've had people before who are of the win lose mentality. They come into my life, they want to win, which means I have to lose. That's the only way they look at things. And now they're no longer part of it. They're outside of that circle. My circle stays tight with people that are win 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 win. And people know that about me now, and people know that about brands too. And they'll know they they could look at you know your podcast. And they're on board with your values and who you are and what you're about. And they see who your sponsors are. And immediately they know this isn't, he hasn't got these people involved because he wants money or free stuff. He's got them involved because they align with his values and he likes what they stand for. And then they'll, they'll go to there. Do you know what I mean? So you're on this journey together for, for the bigger picture of, of helping other people. Absolutely. I couldn't agree 100%. I couldn't agree 100%. I couldn't agree more or agree 100%. I just mashed those together and butchered them. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, just one more area before we get to the fundraising. People listening, if they own a BJJ school, if they own a CrossFit space, um, how do they become part of the Reorg family? You can check out the website. It's quite new, but it's reorgcharity.com and there are contact forms there. You can subscribe to the newsletter. You can find out a little bit more about Reorg um, and who's involved, the, tr- the trustees and some of the other affiliated academies and what I'll say are celebrities in the in the BJJ world, you know, big names like Hodge Gracie and, and people like that. And then you can go on to Instagram. Sam, the founder, runs the Instagram account. Um, I have no idea what his inbox looks like. I, I imagine it's rammed with unread DMs, but... You can find out a bit more there, reach out to him direct, um, ask any questions. But yeah, I mean, it's just exciting. You know, we, we work with 
in fact, the, the whole reorg model was started from the We Defy Foundation in America under Alan Shabaro, retired Green Beret, Black Belt and BJJ. We are also affiliated with uh, Veterans Grappling out in Australia. So hopefully we're going to get to visit all these people um, when we get back on the road, strengthen those relationships again, solid relationships with solid organizations that are just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger as we go on. Yeah, well, I think that's one thing I've learned from this last year is sadly, and I hope to God, a lot of other citizens of countries are having the same thing. These Some of these people that we've deemed as leaders, air quotes, yeah. um, have been tested and some of them have mm-hmm. failed miserably. And yet we mm-hmm. have these incredible men and women that come from the military, from the first responder professions, from the medical profession, wherever they are that are true leaders that are really leading from the front and i think sam developing reorg and ryan parrot who's a navy seal here developing sons of the flag and all these these men and women that see a void that should have been filled by the people that we actually pay a lot of money and they just pick up the torch and, and run with it um so yeah i mean i love the fact that i get to talk to people like yourself and so many other people that are out there walking the walk and and these are the men and women that you know that I'm going to be supporting and giving my money to and buying, you know, the stuff and training with, because these are the leaders of the world. Right. And thank God they exist is all I can say. Cause, um, you know, I, I, like I said earlier, was 10 years in the Royal Marines, 10 years in the charity, you know, I joined in 2001. So I'm 20 years a veteran now. And that, that is my world. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, my peer groups, it's my work, it's, it's everything I do, people I'm associated with is is the veteran community. And I think we'd be a lot worse off was it not for people like Sam and um, the, the gentleman you just mentioned, the Navy SEAL, and people that create these things to, to help and empower, you know, and to promote what we are and what we do. Absolutely. You know, and fill those gaps. And take care of the men and women that, the men and women that served and, you know, either lost their lives, lost limbs, whatever it was, and their families that were there, you know, left to pick up the pieces when Sally and some, some of the guests I had on that were abandoned by whatever organization they were a part of. So, yeah, I mean, it's incredible. So speaking of which, obviously, you know, like any nonprofit that, that requires donations, um, you, put out there that you were going to do. I think you guys did a, a beard shaving first, didn't you, for a fundraiser. Then you <laughs> said that you were going to do a 5K. And I laughed when I was researching it because the GoFundMe or whichever, the, the page you used, it had a target of 5,000 pounds. And it said, right. the little little um, little bubble next to it said, yeah, you've exceeded the target by 5,000 and something percent. So you ended up right. raising a quarter of a million. So tell me about setting that but also the struggle because you know we see some of these as you mentioned paralympians especially below the amputees that have their blades and flying down the the track so tell me what it's like for mark ormrod to run 5k and then tell me about that fundraiser well i'll rewind to the beginning and let you know how this started so last year i became a trustee of reorg right and and it was because sam's about to transition out of the military this is what he's going to do now, right? So I thought this is the crucial time where you need to get eyes on so people understand the mission and the vision and they can get on board. I knew I was going to be leaving my job with the Royal Marines charity. So I thought, what can I do, bearing in mind the restrictions that we're all facing? 
So I thought, okay, I've got this big stupid beard that I've been growing. My wife doesn't like it. It's getting a bit untidy. We'll shave it off and we'll try and raise a thousand pounds. And it wasn't even about the money. It was about the attention and the eyeballs going on to reorg and reading what the mission is and understanding the benefits of training in jujitsu, kind of like building a prepped audience for when we went back into normality. So my youngest daughter, Evelyn, she got the clippers and I live streamed it on my Facebook page and she ended up shaving all my hair off. She did the front bit. So I looked like Robocop when he takes his helmet <laughs> off and everything. <laughs> and, um, all, all my kids are really just like natural on camera and really like cute and, and good. And, you know, people love watching them. So that thousand pounds, uh, we, we reached that in like 32 hours or something. So Ben, again, my, my coach said, why don't we just run with the momentum while, while you've got this momentum going, why don't we just do something else? And I'm like, well, what else can we do? So we talked about running and I, I hate running, right? I, I hated it when I had legs. I hate it without them, but I had a pair of running blades that were in my garage. They'd been underneath a, a chest of drawers for about three years gathering dust. So I said, okay, what we'll do is we'll keep pushing it and when we get to 5,000 pounds, so 5K, I'll run 5K, thinking it's either going to take like three months or we're never going to get there. So I could kind of weasel my way out of it and not have to actually do it. Anyway, we go to this park that is actually a park that I uh, grew up around uh, called Victoria Park in Plymouth. And it's, I think, around in a circle, it's like one. 0.2k or something like that so it was perfect and that's where ben trains his clients now because he has to be outdoors and socially distanced and he was allowed to do that so we do this run and straight off the bat we go for two and a half k of run walk run walk run walk and we're getting to the last 200 meters and also on top of this we had a a red air media uh, drone company, a media company reach out and say they wanted to film it just to get us some social media, do us a favor because they liked the idea of, of reorg and what we were doing. So we're all down there and there's cameras everywhere, which adds to the pressure. You know, I haven't ran for years. It's very different to using walking prosthetics and I was never particularly good at running and I didn't like running. So I, I felt a lot of pressure, but I got into my stride and remembered the feeling, got used to it. And we get to like the last 200 meters and, you know, fatigue set in, my concentration's going, I'm getting tired. But the the front of my running blade, the tread had peeled off. So the carbon fiber hit the tarmac and that's like ice. So I hit the deck quite hard. My knee hit the deck, took a big chunk out of the tarmac, scarred the floor. And then I'm on my back like a turtle that can't get up. But because of everything that's going on, I couldn't have anybody help me up, right? Because I couldn't come into too close a contact with anybody. So I'm like, I'm cool, guys. I remember from a long time ago, the technique to get up from this position. I might need you to grab my foot and twist it at some point, but we'll be facing different directions, so we should be cool. So I go to get up, and I carry on running. Now, I posted the video because one of the things I can't stand in this day and age is these people that have social media and all they do is show the good stuff, the filtered pictures, the fancy car, the nice holidays, and they want everyone to think they got this perfect life. I, I post the bad stuff too. 
So I post this video and I hit the deck and it just went crazy. I think it's at like 2.9 million hits right now, but it's been shared like 20,000 times or something crazy. And then all this, these media people start ringing me up and they're like, we want to talk about your, your run. We want to talk about your run. So I go to go on this program called Good Morning Britain on a Friday morning. And I'm, I'm sat exactly where I am now. And we're in the ad break. All I can see is a black screen. And I can hear people on my headphones saying, right, Mark, we're going to commercial. We'll come back and then we'll, we'll interview you about the run. Like 15 seconds into it, before, into the adverts, they come on and say, we've had a change of plan. There's been an interview with uh, Prince Harry and James Corden. We're going to switch far, but we want you to talk about it. So I'm like a rabbit in the headlights because I don't watch the news and I've got no idea what they're talking about. Like, what what's he done? What's the interview about? But I'm like, right, just chill out, you know, answer the questions. Don't say anything stupid. And we're going to try and slot in where we can about this 5K. Anyway, I, I managed it. We got a little bit about the 5K. But then off the back of that, the BBC rang and they said, we want you to come on Saturday morning. So I went on the next day and all we talked about was the run. And by the time I'd gone from here to my living room, which is like 70 meters after I'd done the interview, I had 860 notifications on my phone from just giving. And so I click on them on the uh, link and the fundraising page is at like 32 grand. It's gone from like two and a half thousand to 32,000. Time I'm to like, get what? running, fucker. <laughs> right. And I'm like, shit. So all Saturday, my phone says beep, 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 beep. 1200 notifications come in. And then they ring me up. They went, we want you to come on again Sunday morning. So I'm like, okay, cool. There's no way there's going to be the same kind of momentum on a Sunday because they probably don't have the same viewership on a Sunday as they do on a Saturday. Same thing happens again. I think it capped out like 900 notifications. So we're at like 76 grand at this point, And I'm like, damn. But the funny thing was Ben, my coach, right? He had a mullet and it took him 20 months to grow this mullet. And before we posted this video, he said, if you get the 20,000, I'll shave it. And I'm like, all right, deal. And anyway, I text him on Sunday. I'm like, mate, I've been thinking about this. I don't really want you to cut your hair. Let's go for 10,000. Knowing it's already at 76. I said, well, let's go for 10,000. <laughs> because um, I don't think, I think 20 is a bit of a stretch. And I don't even think we get to 10. And he's like, no, I'm a man of my word, mate. If it gets to the target, then we're going to shave it. And so I sent him the link and he's like, you bastard. <laughs> so he's got to shave it off. So that became a bit of a party piece. And uh, the bad thing was I was massively restrictive on my training now. So we literally did that first run, a bit of strength and conditioning, another run that was only a K. And then we had to do the actual 5K. Cause I didn't want to drag it out. And I said, when it gets to 5k, I'll do the run. And it was already at like 80 or 90 K at this point. So I'm like, I can't leave it. I've got to just do it. So we literally, it was a crazy week. We've, we found a venue, which was um, a running track in Tavistock with the college down there and the local athletics club. And um, we just turned up and we, we figured out it was 12 and a half laps of the circuit. And we just did it. We just turned up and did it. But what I had to keep telling people, because 5K doesn't seem like a very long way to run. But what I had to let people know was that I don't have any toes to drive with, any ankles to drive with, any calves to drive with, or any knees to drive with. I've got hamstrings and I've got 
quads, but they're not connected. They don't work the same way that they used to. So I drive with my glutes. It's literally bum muscles. That's it. So 5K actually, in terms of energy expenditure, is got to be somewhere in the region of a, a marathon maybe. I don't know. But it's not easy. I know that. So I let people know that. Not as an excuse, but to kind of, in my head, justify that 5K may not seem a lot to some people. But actually, basically, if you try running around on your knees and doing 5K with your on your knees, it might equate to something similar. But we just had to, what we call in the, in the Marines, cuff it. You know, just turn up and just do it. Um, mindset was 90% of it. You know, we, we had a bit of a strategy, but I had, I had, there was loads of problems I had to work out with my prosthetics, which I couldn't do because I couldn't visit my prosthetist because of lockdown. So just had to make everything up, figure things out and just grizz it out the whole time. And the BBC came down again. They covered it. The media company came down and covered it. They we ended up making a documentary out of this thing. And the total now stands at 258,000 pounds. A little, a little now, bit higher than five. <laughs> right. And, and do you know what, right? What, what was really frustrating is because Reorg is so new, they're in the process. Now we've just given, you can do a thing called gift aid, which means that if you're a UK taxpayer, you can add 25% of your donation onto your donation at no cost to you. You reclaim it from the government. So every £10 is £12.50. But Reorg haven't been approved yet for gift aid. So we would be at well over 300 grand. We've lost like 65,000 pounds, I think, in gift aid at the minute. We're going to see if we can retrospectively claim it from the British taxpayers that have that have contributed. But um, yeah, we missed out on that. But because of the success of it, we said, look, what do we do next? We can't just stop now. We've got to keep going. So we're looking at an open water sea swim. So I went down last week and got fitted up for a custom wetsuit. Again, this is a whole new world to me. I've got to figure out what prosthetics I do use, what I don't use, how I swim, what I need, what I don't need. And um, we're going to go for a K, which again, to an able-bodied person doesn't seem like a great distance, but I have no feet and I don't have my dominant arm. So I have to do the whole thing just using my left arm. Even if I kick my legs, they don't do anything because I can't catch the water. My arm stump can't catch the water. So it's literally going to be, unless I figure out how to use prosthetics, driven by one arm. And then you've got to factor in the tide, the current, the the weather conditions, and all that kind of stuff because it's outdoors. It's going to be a killer. Um, but this is the whole point of it. That's why I did the rugs. They don't like it. I did the swim because it's going to be difficult. There's no point in doing something that's not challenging so that's next and then we're looking at some sort of biking event hopefully by this time we can invite people to join us you know and, and the, the weather will be better and we can do maybe like a i don't i don't want to commit but maybe like a 90 100k bike ride or something like that over the course of a weekend and then a couple of events at ben's gym like a 24-hour crossfit workout 24-hour roll a 24-hour what bike event i don't i don't know um we're just we're figuring out as we go making it all up but i i don't think it's unreasonable to say that come the end of the year we we could be approaching seven figures maybe 
which which would be great because then we can just we can conduct the reorg mission we can get out on the road we can reach as many people as we can help as many people as we can help the academies if we can and just and just do everything we can to make this beast get bigger that's amazing have you, have you um ever met ross edgley the guy that swam no, around britain i haven't uh, i've listened to his book i know he's very good friends with some of my friends within the Royal Marine community has been down and trained at Limston before, but I've not had the pleasure of meeting him yet now. Yeah, he'd probably be a good resource for the the ocean swim. I know he's got all four limbs, but even so, I mean, the, the misery that he put himself through is, is insane. And I, was, I was listening to the audio book about like the neck chafing and the masking tape and <laughs> all that kind of stuff he had to do. And yeah, the cracked lips and all that uh, and swimming through, I think, ferry channels when he got to Wales and all this kind of stuff. Pretty insane stuff. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. All right. Well, then you, I want to kind of transition so that we can let you go. You mentioned about um, a new book. So tell me about that. Yeah. So I wrote a book in 2009 when I was going through rehab, a book called Man Down, which talks about my time in the military, deployments, training, getting injured, that kind of stuff. And then I always wanted to write a new one that picked up where the old one left off. So the old one, the first one finishes when I got married in 2009. Four weeks after I was married, I went out to America to get mentored by another triple amputee because I was the UK's first from Afghanistan. And this is where I want the new book to pick up. This is where I reclaim my independence, reclaim my life, got involved in the charity world and did all these, these crazy challenges. Um, and and reorg is involved in that book actually there's, there's a section on reorg in there and how i got involved with that and hopefully i've just spoke to my ghostwriter today we're in the very final stages now of of getting this together and getting it out there and moving forward there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff i'd love to do but at the minute i'm at that stage where i'm a one-man band i'm trying to figure it out and connect the right people to help me do it i'd love i've started already a third book about Lessons I've learned, personal development within the military, being a para-athlete, from bodyguarding, from being a father, you know, all these things that I've learned along the way to hopefully help other people. Practical advice, you know, not just stories, but practical advice people can implement into their own life. I, I'd love to write a few children's books. I've, I've had a bunch of ideas I've written down about how I can use my story, convert it into a kid's book and teach lessons along the way for, for kids um yeah and then we got the film project so we're going to run with that as soon as conditions allow and then get stuck into that which i'm i'm quite fortunate i'm an, an assistant uh a director or producer on it whichever one it is where I, I get a lot of say in what happens which is great i'll be on set all the time kind of guiding and, and directing this so yeah lots of exciting things um lots of exciting things going on which i'm very grateful for you know, I think I said it or alluded to it at the beginning, you know, out of what appeared to be a bad situation all those years ago has created a lot of good, you know, a lot of experiences, a lot of opportunities. I've met a lot of cool people and I get to do a lot of cool things. Brilliant. Now, you mentioned the film. Is that a a, a film about you? Because you, there was a documentary as well, wasn't there? Is that right? You've done one documentary. Yeah. Um, we're midway through a second one right now, but this is going to be a film. Hopefully one that's going to hit the cinemas um, around the world, telling the story of what happened to me. Um, if it goes the way 
that I have it in my head and, and ticks all the boxes. Cause I'm a big film nerd. I always have been. And I want to try and take all the best parts of all the best films I've seen that are relevant and try and mash it into this movie. So I want to take people on a roller coaster ride. I want them laughing. I want them crying. I want their perspectives changed. I want it to open their mind, you know, and just take them on the journey that I went on as closely as I possibly can through the medium of a film. Beautiful. Well, one of my closing questions is always, uh, you know, what is a film that you you love or recommend? So while we're on that topic, what are some of the films that that did shape you that you do want to take elements from and put into that film? Um, well, in terms of the film, the ones that shaped me, they're not necessarily the ones that I would take aspects from to put into this film in the early stages. So I, I grew up in the, the 90s. So it was all about Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, Stallone, you know, all these action movie stars, which is what piqued my interest in the military. I wanted to be the big, muscly action hero that saved the day and, and, and helped everybody. But this movie, I want to be more... If you'd have asked me five years ago, that's probably what I would have said. I want it like that, but I absolutely don't anymore. I want it to be more like... This might be a weird comparison, but along the lines of Forrest Gump, like a real feel-good movie that you can watch again and again and again and always feel good at the end of it and always take something a little bit different from it. You know, that that film takes you on a journey and you know I, I never get bored of that film i think it's great and i'd love to create something like that with my own story you know it's not necessarily about the big hairy smelly sweary macho soldiery style thing it's, it's about the real life of getting your free limbs blown off and, and recovering from it and the help you get the support you get the journey you go on the pits of despair that you reach and then the way you rise back up out of them with all those cool people around you and then go on to be successful, whatever your definition of that is. I, I talk about this quite a bit. I think the films we grew up on, because I had exactly the same, I had Bruce Lee posters everywhere and I watched all the Van Damme films and um, didn't get into the bodybuilding side. I was very much kind of more like you, just the, the, the fighting side. But when you get a little bit older and you become a soldier, a Marine, a firefighter, whatever it is, and then you start seeing some of your fellow men and women struggling. I kind of almost look back to that and look at the the negative side of that, which was they just run around, they're full of muscles, they got no emotion, nothing makes them cry, which is absolute bullshit. So mm -hmm. I think that people are really craving these real stories, the Band of Brothers, the you know, the the Saving Private Ryan's, the Forrest Gump. I mean, just these these human stories that a man can staying with men for a second that a man can be strong and be courageous but also be vulnerable and the core of what you and i chose to do ultimately was to help people which is a very soft emotion so to negate that within yourself i think is the reason why sadly a lot of our men and women struggle with mental health and i know we're coming to the end now but i want to i want to give a shout out to my friend uh jason fox okay this is where it kind of all came together for me so Jason Fox or Foxy, as, as he's known, is he's the star of uh, SAS Who Dares Wins. He's former Special Boat Service, former Royal Marine, uh, and he got up to sergeant level. So, I mean, that to me is like the pinnacle. You know, I mean, you've been a Royal Marine, you've been in the Special Forces, and you've commanded men. And he's very open about his struggles. And I think if somebody that 
rough and tough and professional and elite has the courage to say, actually, I struggled with this, I struggle with that, then everyone can. You know what I mean? And that really, I've never told him this, but it, it really helped me. I'm just like, this guy is everything that I don't want to be. You know what I mean? If I could replicate his career, I'd have been a happy man. And he's, he will, they have this big image, don't they? And, and rightly so, you know, of being hard ass people, right? Who do a hard ass job to the highest possible level. And yet he's very open about the struggles that he had, both in combat and after it. And I just, that, that to me is what is inspiration. Do you know what I mean? To be that vulnerable. I think there are millions of men that if they read his story would be a lot less hesitant about reaching out and saying, I'm struggling. I need a bit of help here. Yeah, I agree 100%. And that's a, one of the goals. And I would love to actually get Jason on. I mean, I know exactly who he is. And I think he'd be another great guest. Um, but that's why I make a point of when I get these SEALs, Green Berets, PJs, you know, Delta guys, whatever it is, that it's important that they, if they're willing to, that they tell that side of the story. Because then your average Joe, your justification is gone then. Well, you're yeah. not, you're not a tough guy. Cause that's, that's the toughest man or woman on the planet. <laughs> exactly. And they just said mm-hmm. that that shit bothers them. So you yeah. have to get rid of that, what I call a Hollywood stigma, the bullshit that we were programmed with. Um, that, that, you know, obviously wasn't intending to do any harm, but it's just a ripple effect that, yeah, if a 30 year Navy SEAL can cry about when this bomb hit this, you know, field with kids playing football on. Or, yep. or the, as I point out, the, the real man of the band of brothers can be in tears 60 years later because of what they went through and who they lost. Then Steve from down the road at the chip shop needs to just calm his tits and understand that it's okay to cry as a man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I kind of want to, I'm hoping this is going to be one of the positive effects of this movie, you know, is everyone... I think that would watch it is well aware of the reputation of the Royal Marines and, and the standard that it takes to get in, the standard that we operate at. So not quite to special forces level in terms of what Foxy did, but a very high level nonetheless. And that's kind of what I'd want them to take away. You know, if this guy could be honest about what he struggled with after what he achieved, then we all should be able to just go out there and say, actually, I need some help now. Yeah. Well, especially when you're a perfect example. The other thing is it's not like we're all hurting, curtains closed. No, it's we, we all are exposed to these mental wounds. But just like you've talked about today, you can heal from those and you can be mm-hmm. you know, more resilient on the other side. And I think that's the conversation that needs to be had. If you're a Marine or SBS or SAS, you know, there, there's a certain mental coaching that can make you a better sniper, make you, you know, your breath control, um, mm-hmm. get into that flow state. And I think that's the, that's where we're hard men and women. When it's go time, that's when, like you said, we have to, the emotion leaves and you have to just do your damn job, get into the fire, whatever it is. It's after the fact where you return to being a normal human being again that mm-hmm. you have to be able to deal with that. So understanding post-traumatic growth, that processing that trauma makes you better, I think is the other part of the conversation you don't hear very much. Right, absolutely. Big fan of post-traumatic growth. Brilliant. All right, well, is, is Jason someone you'd be able to connect me with? Yes, uh, he's out in Australia now, actually. I messaged him the other day about a podcast. Um, he's filming out in Australia for a couple of months, but I can I can drop him a message. 
That'd be amazing. And then the other person who, as you know, I'd love to get on one day. I know he's de- high demand is Sam. And I don't know, maybe when he transitions out completely, that might be an easier time for him. But with him being a PTI, with him doing the kind of mental and physical rehab of injured uh, Marines and then obviously reorg, I think that'd be another very powerful conversation for this audience. Cool. I'm seeing him Thursday, so I can put it on his radar. Please do. All right. Well, then your book was Man Down. Were there any other books that you've read since we talked, which I think was a couple of years ago now, um, that have really resonated with you? Foxy's book. Um, Battle Scars. That's a great book. I am, I'm just reading one now actually called Commando Mindset by another former Marine, Ben Williams, who's a, a businessman now. So he talks about how you kind of take that mindset as a commander and transfer it into the business world and he, he's you know i don't know much about ben but reading the first couple of chapters he's been in a couple of scrapes in his time as well um so that's that's worth reading um and all, all the other books i'm reading right now are just kind of like i'm reading one about becoming a better public speaker and just stuff that i do nlp and, and that kind of stuff just stuff i'm interested in right well, then, aside from Foxy and Sam, are there any other people you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? That's... God, there's loads. Um, let me have a think, and we'll chat offline about it. I'm running through a couple in my head right now, but I'm having a, a blank. Yeah, as no worries. Part about names and stuff. Beautiful. Yeah, we've got a couple of names already. All right. Um, the last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you online. What do you do to decompress? BJJ. <laughs> Weightlifting. I'm actually a big fan of meditating. Um, and I'm starting to incorporate that into my evening routine. I spend a lot of time on devices. Um, you know, so I earn an income now. Speaking online like this, podcasting, running my social media. I just started a Facebook page now, actually, a supporters page which is monetized with a monthly subscription. So that's how I earn a living now. I'm trying to grow that audience. But I need to decompress and, and switch off at the end of the day so I don't go to bed thinking about all this stuff. So every morning I'm meditating at half past five for at least 10 minutes and now I'm just incorporating maybe 20 minutes in the evening to decompress at the end of the day. Right. Well, you mentioned, I think, with with uh, Sam about you know getting up early. You know you're a fan of Jocko. Just so that people understand that philosophy, you're getting up very early. Are you are you putting yourself into bed earlier to to cope with that early start? About half past ten. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I think that's bed half past ten, up at half past five. Okay, so you're good on what is that seven hours? So that's not bad at all. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's quality sleep though. So I've got a blackout blind in my room. I've put masking tape over all the little LED lights in the TV. I've got I've got it set up right. You know, no blue light after a certain time. I've done all the research on sleep hygiene. So I get I get a quality seven hours. You know what I mean? So I'm up fresh next day. Brilliant. Yeah, because I think that's a that's a part of that message that's lost. Like, you know, and Jocko is definitely one of those anomalies. I've had one one of his uh, Navy SEAL um colleagues who uh you know is a big sleep medicine expert these days, SEAL turned physician. Um, and there's that point zero zero whatever that can function on less sleep. Jocko doesn't go to bed earlier, but for the rest of us normal people, you know, if you want to start five thirty, awesome. But understand that doesn't mean going to bed at midnight. <laughs> Not right. Gotcha. All right. Well then so for people to find you, where where can they find the Facebook page? Where can they find the website and any other areas online? So I'm all over social media. 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm a little bit embarrassed to say TikTok. Um, all of my handles are at Mark Wormrod. I've just started a new account actually on a new app called Clubhouse, uh, which is an audio app. And then the website is markwormrod.com. So I think I've done a pretty good job of syncing it all up. It's easy to find me and jump from one to the next. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm active every day. Brilliant. All right. Well then, and I'll put the um, the reorgcharity.com on there as well. So people have that to uh, to find on the webpage for this episode. Mark, I just want to say thank you so much. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation last time. Um, even some of the medical takeaways from our discussion, you know, as a medic myself, was uh, I still think of to this day. Um, but this has, you know, been an amazing insight with you being in in um, Plymouth and this last year and the genesis of Reorg. So thank you again for taking the time to come on the Behind the Show podcast. My pleasure, mate. Thank you for inviting me back. <laughs>